You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I don't know about you, but I'm flipping jacked up for the weekend. And what I mean jacked up, I mean... Um, I'm not at work, so that's a good thing, but I do have to finish this office that I am right now. It's baby blue and uh, this weekend I'm going to be doing some painting and, uh, then after the paint dries, I'm going to start bringing all my mounts and my sheds in, going to do something creative with that. And, uh, then I got to find a way to make a little recording studio for the podcast, uh, put some sound dampening things up so there's less of an echo. I'm going to try to make it real professional looking. And um, yeah, so that's the plan for the weekend. It's still shotgun season here in Iowa, so I won't be going out and doing that. There's a good chance that uh, I'll be accompanying my wife to Hobby Lobby or Joanne's Fabrics. Uh, where I will probably be sitting in the parking lot with my two kids while she goes in the store and does whatever she does when she goes in there. I, however, will be listening to my daughter complain about how her brother got the last gummy saver and how she thinks life is cruel and unfair. So... That's <laughs> that's that's probably what I'm going to be doing this weekend. Hopefully you guys have something more exciting planned. But today we have a really cool hunter profile podcast with Mark Parasot. Uh he's from Ohio, but he he goes down to Missouri on his first ever Missouri archery hunt and and is able to harvest a pretty sweet buck it's uh pretty impressive and uh i'm i would love to shoot a buck like this someday hopefully uh his luck continues and uh so that's uh it's a pretty it's a pretty cool 
pretty cool podcast today. You guys are going to love it if you love these Hunter Profile ones. Um, if you if you know anybody who would be good for a Hunter Profile podcast, send them my send them my uh, direction and uh, let's get something set up. If you would like to be on the show and talk about a successful season that you've had or some lessons learned or or whatever a cool story and it doesn't have to be about whitetails um i would love to spread this out and go you know elk hunting mule deer hunting sheep hunting not because i i've ever done that or i think my listening base does does that i just really think that it would be awesome to hear how others hunt and how you know because there's guys out there who are probably elk nuts or mule deer nuts and they don't even care about whitetails just like a lot of us are whitetail nuts and probably don't have the opportunity to hunt some of those um, other western big game animals just because of where we're located so if you are listening to the podcast and you live out west somewhere or you go out west somewhere and uh and maybe have had a successful elk hunt or a mule deer hunt or a bear hunt or a sheep hunt or any moose hunt, anything, hit me up. I'd love to hear those those stories as well. Um, and now, today, I really just want to, you know, I'm not going to do this huge big commercial like I usually do at this point. I, I really do want you guys to go to exodusoutdoorgear.com. Take a look at exodus trail cameras as a serious option for your next trail camera i mean they're a very high quality camera you're getting it because they are a direct-to-consumer company you are getting it for a lower dollar a higher a higher quality piece of merchandise for a lower dollar amount and they can they're able to offer you a five-year warranty and uh, 50% off if your trail camera is stolen. So no other company is doing that. Uh, awesome customer service. I know the guys who, who are the owners. If you call that number now or or t- um, send them a text, they will respond to you within probably an hour or so, if not answer the phone. So uh, these guys are the real deal. Check them out. And if you do decide to purchase a trail camera, at checkout, enter the code 9FINGERS, and you will receive $20 off of your purchase. Now, the next thing I want to talk about real quick is... I had a little bit of some technical difficulties during this podcast. Um, my microphone was not plugged in properly, so it did not pick up the the recording. So it's a little bit less uh, lower of a quality of the recording than um, I usually have, and I do apologize for that. I'm truly sorry, but it's good enough for you guys to listen to. So here's today's Hunter Profile podcast with Mark Parasot. All right. On the phone with me now is Mark, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce your last name, but I bet it's really easy to pronounce. What, what's your last name? Uh, Parasot. Parasot. Okay. Maybe that yep. was a little easy. Maybe I should have at least tried. Uh, that's all right. I've heard about a billion different pronunciations <laughs> of my last name over the years. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, Mark. Uh, that's 
Great honor to be here, honestly. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, it's, you sent me a picture, a couple pictures of uh, some success, some success you had in Missouri, uh, bow hunting this uh, this year. But uh, uh, before we get into the, you know, this particular hunt, just uh, other other than this particular hunt that you had success with in Missouri, how you also hunt in Ohio. Uh, how how has your Ohio season been? Um, Ohio season's been all right. I've had some encounters with a few does, nothing close enough to harvest. Um, I actually just just shot a doe yesterday during shotgun season here. Um, uh, had an encounter with a pretty big five pointer. Um, he has no brow tines. He's three on the left and two on the right, but never got the chance to capitalize on that. That was Monday this previous week during shotgun season as well. Okay. But what about your bow, bow season in Ohio? Um, bow season, <laughs> bow season didn't go too well for me. Uh, it seemed like every, every time I was out, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> yeah. I've had, I've definitely had seasons like that. All right. So we're going to kind of go, we're going to start at the very beginning and, uh, the, you know, this is kind of a question I ask in all of the podcasts that I do. Who was your main influencer or how did, who, who was there for your introduction into hunting? Who kind of helped you pave the way? Um, my dad's been, been there for me since, since I can remember. I remember before I was old enough to actually go out and hunt, uh, him getting all of something clothes on and me asking about a million questions as he was walking out the door to go out to the woods. Uh, you know, my dad, uh, used to archery do shoot archery competitions around the area when he was younger, just to kind of stay in, uh, bow ready shape, I guess would be a way to put it. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I can remember him getting his stuff on going out to the woods. And then I think about, 10 years old was the first time he bought, he bought me my first bow. And it was one of those things where it was more of a, you practice until I think you're ready. And then once I think you're ready, we'll get you set up and get you going out in the woods. So he bought you your first bow at 10 years old. And he said, okay, practice until you're ready. What was, was your, I'm ready and his, you're ready. Two different things. Oh yeah. If I thought I could hit the target, I thought I was good to go. And I can still remember he, he actually pulled a pop cab off a pop can and bent it a little bit and stuck it into the foam target. And he pulled his bow out and shot it and shot it through the little hole in the pop tab. His arrow actually went through it. And he goes, when you can do that, he goes, you're ready. I I can't do that. (laughs) Yeah. And and that was the first time he had pulled his bow out for the season that year, kind of getting things around the first arrow of the season. He put through that little, little hole in the pop tab. You must have still amazed at that. You must've looked at him like he was some kind of archery God. Yeah. That's kind of how I felt about it. (laughs) So, when when were you actually ready, and did you have to pass some kind of test, like uh, an accuracy test, or be being able to pull back a certain poundage? Um, no, there wasn't really certain poundage. I think I was pulling back thirty five or forty pounds when I finally went into the woods. It was I was twelve years old the first year that I was allowed to go out, 
Um, dad, dad had taken me out the year before when I was 11. He let me take my bow with me, but he pretty much told me that unless the perfect opportunity presents itself, he goes, you're just going to sit in the stand and kind of observe. Right. And that was a really painful year for me because I was 11 years old and had ants in my pants and couldn't sit still. <laughs> and it was, it seemed like I was being scolded more than I was learning how to hunt, but right. there were, there was some definite growing pains in there, but. Which uh, we don't really realize that, you know, you, you probably felt like you were getting your ass chewed the entire time, but in all actuality, it was definitely a lesson, you know, if you keep yeah. doing this much, you're not going to see anything. Oh yeah. That, that was a hard one for me to learn. So, so before, before bow hunting, did he, was there any type of gun hunting? Did he take you out gun hunting or were you, were you guys strictly archery? Um, I never went out gun hunting until I was actually out with my bow. It was kind of like you show enough interest in hunting itself and put in your time, then we'll get you out there gun hunting. So I didn't actually gun hunt until I was, um, until I was 12. Okay. So basically your first year bow hunting and your first year gun hunting kind of were the same year too, uh, when you were 12 years old. Yes. Now, do you remember what kind of, uh, bow, bow you had back then? If, if you can describe that for us. Uh, it was a little, it's a little PSC. I can't even tell you what it was. Maybe a spider as, as real little. And I can still remember that I was shooting purple aluminum arrows with, uh, blue and white fletchings on it. Nice. And so when that, that, that 12th year, when, or, or not 12th year, when, when you were 12 years old and, uh, you, you know, you, you were practicing for what, almost two whole years. Um, what did you have to actually do to impress your dad enough to let you go out with your bow and actually take a shot? Um, he hung up a paper plate and basically took a coffee cup and drew a circle around the outside of the coffee cup. So about a baseball size circle on the paper yeah, and put that on the target. And he told me if you can hit it, uh, I think I had four or five arrows. He said, every shot that you make has to be inside that target. And when you're able to do that at 20 yards, he goes, you, he, and he showed me around my tree stand that I was going to sit in, mm-hmm. you know, what 20 yards and 30 yards looked like. He said, when you can hit it at 20 yards, he goes, then you can shoot up to that 20 yard mark. He goes, and then once you get out to the, when you can shoot that at 30 yards, he goes, then you can move out to that other kind of area that I showed you, you could shoot at. Right. He goes, but until then, I don't want you taking a shot too far. He goes, if you wound a deer, he goes, you're going to be the one feeling bad and kicking yourself for what you're doing. Right. Right. So after you passed that test, um, were you pretty excited and, and was, was he excited as well? Oh, I was tickled pink and I know he was happy. I, he couldn't wipe the smirk off his face <laughs> when it happened. It was a pretty proud father-son moment for that. Nice, nice. Something that you'll remember for uh, for a long time, I take it. Oh, yeah. So 
you know, you get the you get the pass, you pass the accuracy test, right? You're 20 yards, you're hitting a coffee cup sized uh, uh, target at 20 yards, and um, so were you out scouting with your dad? Were you helping him hang tree stands, um, or was all this work kind of done and he just kind of set you up? Um, all that work was pretty well done. I had gone out and helped him, um, trim out some shooting lanes and move stand a little bit in the woods. And, you know, that was more of like, uh, one weekend here, one weekend there kind of thing. Um, but as far as scouting went, it was kind of, uh, yeah, dad, my dad's been hunting the property we have here in Ohio. Oh, about as long as I've been alive and I'm 25 years old. So, uh, okay. he, he historically kind of knows where the, where the deer general movements are in the woods and just kind of went off that. Okay. So explain to me the first, like your first season, walk me through that first season of you, you know, after you've passed that test, uh, were you hunting in the same tree with your dad at that age or did he drop you off and then he went to another stand? Yeah, he would, he would drop me off and go to a different stand. Okay. So talk to me a little bit, maybe about your first encounter or the first time that you knew, okay, uh, the, the restraints are off. I am in kill mode now. And if a deer walks by, I have, you know, I have permission to take the shot. Um, well, that, it never came to came full circle the first year. The first year was pretty frustrating for me. I believe I only saw two deer the whole year yeah. that I went out, and I think I went out about a dozen times. And I think it was more the whole ants in the pants thing that was <laughs> beating me down at that point. Stand up, uh, sit down, glass, stand up, sit down, glass, all that stuff. Yeah, I think I moved entirely too much looking back now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so no, no real good encounters that, that first year. No, not the first year. Okay. So then you turned 13, right? Yes. All right. And, um, I guess as far as bow hunting was concerned, did you harvest anything your first year with a gun? Um, no. And I had a great opportunity at a small little eight point buck, which I would have been absolutely tickled to shoot. But I was always under the impression, well, at least at that age, that you needed to wait for a broadside shot, you know, right in the kill zone. And my, my dad and we have another property that actually there's a, there's a fence row that runs through the woods that we hunt here. And the neighbor hunts his as well. And my dad and the neighbor guy were pushing the woods for my, my brother and I. And that eight pointer and a doe were running straight towards me and they stopped 20 yards facing straight at me. And I did not pull the trigger. And finally my brother who's sitting about 40 yards to my right yells, shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause I was waiting. I was trying to be disciplined. Like dad had taught me to, you know, wait for a good shot. And I didn't know the difference. And, you know, they ended up running to my right and my brother shot the, the big doe that was with them. And I shot once and shot the doe in the back leg and <laughs> oh dad kept laughing and telling me, you can't shoot him in the knee and kill him. 
right, right. So, but fortunately, my brother made the made the good shot on her. I can't, you know, I've heard a lot of hunting stories, not only through, you know, talking to people at trade shows and my friends and, uh, and even myself have been a part of stories that start or end or, or somewhere in the story, someone yells to, to somebody else, shoot them, shoot them. And, uh, I, I can remember like turkey hunting for three days in a row, really hard with one of my uncles. And I, I fell asleep in it against a tree in it for an afternoon hunt and i i i wake up to my uncle shoot him shoot him i look up and there's like three strutting toms right in front of in front of us where the decoy is and i I pulled the trigger (laughs) and i i wasn't even aiming at it at any of the toms but i pulled the trigger anyway and you know obviously missed but he had a he had a good laugh at that and uh so the old shoot him y'all shoot him but, uh, so now you're 13 years old, you know, uh, didn't, re- haven't really harvested a deer yet. It's bow season. Uh, did you do anything different, um, between your, tw- you know, when you were 12 to 13, uh, as far as practice was concerned? No, nah, it was more of a, a summer, summertime thing, you know, being out of school, it was a couple times a week, at least go grab my bow and get out and practice for an hour or two. And just kind of stay in the rhythm of things and I got pretty proficient and I was shooting out at 40 yards that I was comfortable at 30 and that's just kind of where I kept my threshold was 30 and under and I was I was happy with that right and then as far as preparation for the season you know I was I as the years went on I got more and more interested in it and dad could see that so we we moved one of the tree stands back to a spot and he let me pick the tree out that I wanted to sit in. And ever since then, that particular stand in the woods is called my stand. We always refer to it as Mark stand. So that was a big stepping stone for me. I felt pretty proud of that. And so, so so did you have, so I take it. Yeah. Maybe your 13th year you've had, you had some better encounters. Yeah. I, I had watched a few does, but they were out at about 45 or 50 yards and, you know, kept sitting and, you know, we, I was raised up with dad's mentality was always, you, you put your time in the woods and you'll eventually have success. And so I, you know, I had multiple encounters and then it seemed like the, the great thing about my stand is that it's, it's backed by a bedding area. But the bad thing is, is that it, when you walk in, in the afternoon, you almost always bump some deer out of that, out of that bedding cover. Right. And the, the, I finally had success that year at 13. I walked back and I bumped a doe and a yearling out of their bed back there. And dad always told me, just climb up in your tree. Like nothing happened if you bump one and you know, there's more than one, two deer or one deer in the woods. You, right. you know, you still have some chance for success. So, I climbed up in my tree and I don't know, maybe a half hour later that yearling came back right below me and just, I don't know, maybe 10 yards broadside, perfect shot. And I drew back and the rest was history after that. And So your first, you're drawn back on your first deer ever. 
Yeah. Did you have any? Did you have any uh, buck fever? I mean, were you shaking? Were you excited? What was that moment like for you? Uh, I was shaking so bad. I was. <laughs> I was shaking so bad. I couldn't keep steady. Couldn't keep the pins <laughs> on it. And finally, after about thirty seconds of that, I just kind of took in a deep breath and held it and put the pin on him and squeeze the trigger and I I put in the shot a little bit high but I ended up hitting the lungs yeah and he ran about 40 yards and laid down and within I don't know five minutes after shooting him he expired right there okay so at that moment you knew you, you know, you just released an arrow on your first year. You knew he was dead. What did you do next? I had to sit down. <laughs> I was still shaking so bad. My heart was thumping. <laughs> and I was super excited and I couldn't contain myself. I, I got down out of the tree stand, walked over and looked at the deer, just shaking terribly. <laughs> and I was so pumped and I knew what tree stand dad was going to be sitting in. So I couldn't help myself. I walked all the way through the woods, chopped through it, and I'm sure, I'm sure Dad was just sitting there thinking, what the hell is this kid doing? And I walked up to the bottom of the tree, and he's like, he just said it in a normal voice. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, are you okay? I'm like, I just shot a deer. And, of course, then he got all excited, and we were both grinning, and I was talking about a hundred mile an hour the whole way back to my deer. And, you know, then, then came the fun part was he goes, well, you've watched me gut a couple deer before he goes, now you get to get your hands dirty. Oh boy. Um, I, I was a little, little gun shy on it just cause I had never done it. You know, I'd yeah. seen him do it, but most of that, my viewpoint for that was hold a leg and help me here. And, but we worked through that and, he pulled the pickup truck back there and he goes to pick it up and he go, I, I, I go, do you want any help loading that? He grabs it by both front and the back legs and just tosses <laughs> it in the bed of the truck. He goes, I think I can handle this one. He's just smiling. But you thought it was some giant, you know, like, oh God, he has, his body's huge. And your dad lifts him up like, oh, my, my dad can deadlift 300 pounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, i mean you were you and your dad were both pretty excited for that uh for that moment huh yeah nice nice so so you know that right there was your first archery kill um fast forward you know fast forwarding a ways when did you start to get more serious maybe about bow hunting and I'm talking maybe like, cause you mentioned to me before we started recording now you're, you know, you listen to a lot of podcasts like this one in the wired to hunt podcast, you know, you're, you're more serious about bow hunting. At what age did that change? Um, probably, probably only about a, two or three years ago, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I've always been kind of a happy go lucky, just go out and sit in the woods when I get the chance kind of person. And, yep. you know, the last couple of years listening to the podcast really made me realize that it's not about the amount of time you put in the woods, but the, the quality of the hunt itself, right. you know, the, the weather, you know, 
some people buy in the moon phase and some nights I believe it and other nights I curse it. And, <laughs> but I just, all those other little factors kind of, I've, I've kind of started putting the puzzle pieces together, so to speak. Okay. So you make, you know, you not only hunt in Ohio where you live, but you know, now you've gotten permission to bow hunt on your uncles in Missouri. Um, what kind of preparation, I mean, over the years uh, between, I guess my question is between that, you know, that 13th year when you shot your first doe to this year, um, have you, have you seen success? I mean, in, in the buck department and what do you categorize as success? Um, I, success for me was always just being happy with what you shot and, uh, my my first buck was a little basket rack seven pointer, and I shot him with my bow when I was 15 years old. Um, and I pretty much felt like I could move a mountain when I shot him. I he, he I had I had just watched a giant eight pointer pushing a doe around in the thicket in front of me, but they were in some super heavy cover, and yeah, I I pulled out my grunt call, and I'm sure I grunted so much that he he just kind of walked away <laughs> from me at that point. And because I was I was trying everything I could think of in the world to try to get that buck to come in a little bit closer. And yeah, I was sitting there in the stand, a little bit bummed out, and I heard something off to my left, and I just happened to look over, and there was a little seven pointer browsing through. And he walked almost directly under the tree stand. And I was really nervous about shooting him because he was only maybe three yards away from the base of the tree. So I was shooting pretty steeply down at him. And you know, I put the pin right over the vitals and shot and slipped through the ribs and ended up shooting him right in the heart. He ran 30 yards and tipped over. Nice. Nice. So then you said, you said it wasn't until, you know, you're, you said you're, you're only 25 years old, right? Yes. Right now. Okay. So did you, did you go to college or did you get a job right out of high school? No, I, I got a job right out of high school. Well, I went to college. I take that back. Um, I went for a semester and I just figured out that this really was not the direction that I wanted my life to go. I right. was extremely unhappy with it. And just kind of bit the bullet and got out of my classes and went and found a job. And, you know, I've worked quite a few different places, but I've finally settled in where I'm at now. Nice. Nice. So, so, so I mean, for me, when I was your age, I was like in that stage where I think when I was 25, I was, I had, I had a job, but I wasn't taking life too serious. I was actually drinking a lot and partying a lot and chasing women a lot, but, uh, never took anything serious. It wasn't until like that following year when I turned 26, where I started, you know, taking hunting very serious. Uh, I kind of had a life changing moment, but was there anything that happened in your life that, you know, you said it was the past couple of years, you started taking it serious. Was there anything in your life that kind of said, okay, I want to be a serious, not just a bow hunter. I want to be a serious bow hunter. 
Well, the, the most significant thing that's happened to me in the last <laughs> three years is I've got a, a three-year-old son right now, and I have a three-month-old son also. So I've got two kids, a wife, and bought my own house and kind of got everything started as far right. as for my future. Right. Yeah, getting, I, getting into bow hunting and having kids all at the same time is, is can, can, can be tough, I bet. Yeah, and I think that's really what what made me kind of start to step back and realize that the quality of the hunt was more right. important than the quantity of hunts. That you know, I I needed to be here for my family, but at the same time, still be able to pursue my passion to an extent. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So now we're going to change change it up just a bit. Uh, and we're going to talk about this Missouri hunt that, that you went on. How, how many years have you been bow hunting in Missouri? This was my first year in bow hunting in Missouri. Okay. But you've hunted the property before on gun hunts, correct? Correct. I've okay. been going out to Missouri since I've been, was 13. Okay. Okay. Every, every year on a gun hunt. All right. So d did your uh, dad take you out of school for uh, a couple days to uh, head yeah. down there to hunt? Yeah, we would we would take off school. Usually, we'd take off school on a Friday, um, leave early Friday morning, get in, you know, Friday afternoon, the evening time, and kind of get settled in and catch up with everybody that we haven't seen in a while, and swap some hunting stories for the evening, and get everything around, and kind of get a game plan for the next morning and go out hunting. Okay, so with this being your first year bow hunting you kind of already knew a little bit of the property the lay of the land and, and all that stuff describe to us what this you know this property is that your uncle owns and uh you know talk to us about how the deer move you know what the what the the timber ag or crp ratio is and and kind of describe that property so where we hunt in Missouri, it's the northeast part of Missouri. It's a little ways north of Kirksville, Missouri. Um, we, uh, well, when you drive in, you turn into a, it's a little town off the main blacktop. And there's maybe, I, I'm not even going to put a number on the population. It's just small. Yeah. And as soon as you leave the, leave the main blacktop, you start hitting the big swooping rolling hills. Um, <clears throat> so you, after you leave the main blacktop, you go for a few miles and turn off on an old stone road. And as soon as we turn there, there's a 35 acre patch that we drive by and that's all ag up on the top. And then when it drops down to the bottom, it's all steep, deep ravines um, kind of standing hardwood and that's just the one property he owns. And then about a mile down the road is where his actual house is. And he owns about 130 acres behind his house. And that's a mixture of right now, this year it was clover pasture. Um, there's some, some old cow ponds. He used to be a cattle rancher, um, he's since been sold everything and kind of gotten out of that business, but <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so there's a lot of old pasture and the 
the majority of the timber is all down by the creek bottoms and the deeper ravines. Um, and on the backside of the farthest part of his property, there's a 40 acre, we actually call it the 40. It's a 40 acre patch that is a bunch of scraggly thorn trees and briars. And it's just a one giant thicket. Yeah. Um, it, it just screams white tail heaven to me every time we go out there. It's just, got just about every it's got everything that the deer want right so not only does he have the egg as you know some food sources but he has some of the nasty stuff for uh, bedding areas as well yeah okay so you know obviously strategy for you know gun hunting and bow hunting can be at times a little bit uh a little bit different um were you you know, knowing that you had permission to go and bow hunt this property this year, um, did you have any work as far as looking at maps or, you know, doing some digital scouting or put any type of game plan together, not only through maps, but actually knowing the property that you were, were going to try to do before, you know, you went out there? Yeah, I I daydreamed looking at Google Maps for I don't know how many days, <laughs> looking at the property and kind of I don't know virtually scouting the area, and you know I've I've walked probably every inch of that property throughout the years gun hunting, but from a bow hunting standpoint, I've never really thought about it that way because gun hunting we always put each other up. Um, like there's a power line cut that runs through the property that the main ravine runs right below that. So there's thick cover down there and we always sit on the power line rifle hunting. But as far as bow hunting, I've never really put myself in that position to think of where I needed to be at until this year. Um, so there was, there was a little bit of homework going into it and, and historically going back and talking to my uncle and cause he also bow hunts out there and, you know, getting some advice from him, you know, when we got there as far as where to go and what a good place to be would be at. Okay. So were you using some of the, the same gun hunting stands that you used during your gun hunting trips or did you come into that with some more uh, running gun, I guess, strategy? Um, I did do a couple running guns while I was out there. There's a couple areas that I really wanted to dip into, but, um, talking to my uncle, he had said that he didn't have any tree stands in that area. And fortunately enough, one of my dad's good friends, um, allowed me to borrow his, uh, climber to go out there for that week. So I, I slipped into a few different spots, but didn't have any success in the area I was at. And finally, uh, my, my cousin Hayden went out with us as well. And he goes, well, we, we did move a ladder stand down there, down on the 40. And it's right in the bottom where the three, three ditches all come together in the same spot. And it's right there in that little point. And I was like, well, I was really trying to figure out where I could put a tree stand up down there. But from what I could tell, there wasn't a whole lot of big trees down there. And I went and sat that stand and was instantly kind of in love with the, the whole scenario of things down there. 
Okay. So first off, how many days were did you have dedicated to this trip? We left. Uh, hold on, Maggie. Got me thinking. We left on November fourth, and hold on, just a moment. I got to pull up my calendar now to think about this. Not a big deal. Just a just kind of a guess. Uh, like ten days, twelve days. Uh, the 4th through the 12th, so so 8 days. 8 days, okay. So you had 8 days to dedicate to this. I mean, did you guys have any plans as far as, okay, well, uh, the first two days we might set some observation stands and kind of glass sit back, or did you guys jump right in right when you got there? Uh, we, we pretty much jumped right in for the meat and the potatoes right there in the beginning. Okay. Um, so what did, what were you seeing right off the bat? Did you see some good sign? Were the crops were all the crops out by then? Yeah, all the crops were out by then. Okay. So did you see any good sign? Any scrapes? Any good rubs? Um, there was the the way that we well the way that I accessed a few different stands was through those creek bottoms now because it's real sandy creek bottoms where we're at. So it's it's nice and quiet to be able to slip through through those to get back to stands and. There was rubs all along those creek banks and a uh, couple scrapes. and uh, th I mean, there's deer sign literally just about anywhere you walk there on the property. Right. Okay. It was, it was almost to the point where it was hard to pinpoint where the main travel corridors were going from to and from because they had so many options on where they could go. Okay. So... I mean, were you seeing a lot of movement? I mean, the first couple nights, three nights into the into the uh, hunt, what 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 did you see? Well, the the first night that I was out, um, I had seen a doe come through, but she was up on a <clears throat> up on a bank of ravine across from me, and she stayed up behind some thicker cover. So there's she was only about thirty thirty yards from me, which is within my wheelhouse, but she stayed up behind the, the cover just a little bit too much to where I didn't feel comfortable trying to get a shot. Um, you know, everybody that went out had at least seen one, if not two deer that night, we had four people out there for the archery season. Okay. So were these all buddies that you brought from Ohio or, um, just you and your, and then your uncle and his friends? Um, it was actually me, my dad, my my younger cousin Hayden went with us, and my good friend Josh from Ohio. Okay, so the all all four of you guys traveled from Ohio, came down there. Um, was that kind of crowded on on the amount of the 130 acres that he had? No, not in the least bit. And I I I kind of failed to mention one of our other family friends that lives out there. He owns another 180 acres, okay. about a quarter mile down the road. Okay. So you guys had plenty of property to work with. Yeah, okay. exactly. All right. So then, um, you know, a, for a couple deer the first couple nights, um, any any mature bucks? No, not, <clears throat> not the first nights that we were there. Um, we had seen a, a decent eight-pointer. And we had seen a few basket racks walking around, but nothing, nothing that really stood out. Um, 
uh, I and actually the funny thing is, is I actually believe that we saw the buck that I ended up killing the day before that I shot him. Um, when we go out for, well, my dad's gone out bow hunting in the past. And when he's out there, it's always been kind of help Bob out, my uncle, you know, doing chores and kind of getting stuff ready for the gun hunters that would come in the following week. Yeah. And we were driving over the hill to, he has a little condo. We call it a condo. It's just a little box blind up on the hill, but the wind had actually blown it over. So, um, my uncle said, let's get the tractor out and we'll, he goes, I'll drive it over there and you guys can drive around the property and meet me over there and we'll get it tipped back up and resecured. And <clears throat> when we crested this big hill, we looked down in the bottom and instantly my friend goes, there's a buck and we're staring and looking and I finally see it. And I'm like, wow, that's a really nice buck. And he had a doe with him and there was another, I believe it was an eight pointer with him. And they were only maybe 40 yards away from my uncle who was on the tractor and he had absolutely no clue. And that was the point where I really started deciding to sit that ladder stand because it was close. And I knew that that ravine ran straight to that stand. Okay. Okay. So did your uncle run any type of trail cameras? Uh, throughout the year, or did you guys run any trail cameras to see what what kind of caliber of bucks uh, were on this property? No, that's something that's on my wish list. I don't actually own any trail cameras myself, and I don't believe my uncle does either. If he does, okay. he does. That doesn't show us the pictures, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, so um, did... You know, moving into so it was how many days before you actually uh, into your hunt before you killed this buck? It was the third the third evening that I was there. Okay, so the third day you helped him pull up the the condo blind that blind, and then that that evening you went down into that uh, into that uh, ravine again. No, it was actually the second day that we helped him move that condo and saw the buck, and then the following day was when I actually shot him. Okay. So what time did you get into the, the stand that afternoon? Um, well, it was pretty well in the stages of pre-rut. I wouldn't say they were in full rut while we were there yet, but I had still seen some deer slipping through the fingers behind the house. We could see some movement during the midday time. And so we were getting out there pretty early. I went out about one o'clock that day. Okay. Now you climbed up in the stand. Um, and so it was November, November 6th, November 7th, November 7th, November 7th. Okay. So a cold front had come through a couple days previously, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So what was the temperature and wind direction that day? If you can remember. Uh, the temperature was about the mid fifties actually that day and the wind was blowing. It was blowing generally east to northeast, but down there in the bottom where that stand situated, it almost swirled pretty badly down there. Got ya. Okay. So, so did you have any type of, um, 
Like, did you have a, a gut feeling that you were going to see something come through? Or, I mean, knowing that you saw a, a bigger buck down there the previous day, did you, uh, you know, were you, were you excited that you might see it? Or did you kind of think, well, he ran away. I, m- I might not see him again. Well, we didn't, didn't really spook him too bad. Actually, the tractor is what finally bumped him to make him run out of that little bottom. Okay. And he didn't really run like he was scared for his life. It was more of a, a little bit of a trot. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't wouldn't say he was overly worried about his well-being at that point when we saw him. So I felt fairly confident that he wasn't too spooked and that he would still be in the area. <clears throat> and, you know, I... <clears throat> I'm sorry, I just lost total train of thought. No, that's fine. <laughs> okay, so... So you're, you, you made it to the stand, it's one o'clock, it's, it's kind of warm for November, but, uh, you know, did you see any other deer? I mean, talk to me a little bit about, uh, the setup before you actually uh, saw him for the first time and, uh, you know, got, had the actual encounter where you killed him. So I got into the stand that day and I carry this little fanny pack around that I've had for, I don't know, probably the last 10 years now. But I situate all my calls and everything in that. Uh, climbed up in the stand, got comfy, and I always clip that thing around the tree behind me. That way everything's nice and readily available. Um, carried my rattling antlers with me and just kind of stuck it out for a while. I didn't really anticipate on seeing anything that early in the day, but I was kind of under the mindset that you're not going to see anything and unless you're there. Right. And I sat there all night long, saw a few squirrels, and it was the last 15 minutes of shooting light when I finally saw this buck. And he's the only deer you saw the whole night? It was the only deer I'd seen the entire night. Okay. So from where you sat to where this buck uh, made his entrance, kind of talk, talk us through where he was in relationship to you. Did you have the wind in your favor and, um, you know, walk us through from the time you saw him all the way until you uh, pulled the trigger on your release. Okay. So sitting in the stand, just slightly to your left, um, you would cross the ravine and come up the hill just a little ways. And there's a mode path that my uncle has through this 40 acre patch in the back. Um, that kind of skirts around in front of you around to the right. And I was almost at the point of where I was getting kind of down on myself. hadn't seen a deer all night, just kind of figured it was going to be a skunk hunt. And actually I turned around and had pulled one of the calls out of my pocket and stuck it in my pack. And I just turned back around and I seen a flash of white. I believe it was his tail flickering. And just kind of froze in my tracks and looked off and realized that he was feeding out of the brush onto that path and was starting to work his way straight down towards me. Um, the natural curve of that path goes to the right, and I had actually watched an eight-pointer walk the same direction he was coming from and skirt that path and kind of walk away from me the, the previous morning and kind of had it in my head that, you know, 
I didn't have a shot in hell, but he was just kind of going to walk away from me and there would go my shot for the night. But fortunately for me, he, he got right to the curve in the path and took a few steps into the timber and that's where it really set in. You know, I had already had my bow in my hand and release was on the string and I was prepared that if he came down there that I was going to be ready for the shot. And the wind was blowing perfectly. It was coming from my left, going to the right, and he was walking, coming straight in front of me, straight towards me. So there was no way that he was going to win me if he continued coming the direction he was coming. And he got about 25 yards away from me, and there's a bunch of brush right there. And I could see from the paths that the deer had worn in that he had a decision to make, either go to the right, which would be perfect for me. It'd be a broadside shot and it would end up being about a 20, 20 yard shot. Or he would go to his left, which would darn near screw me. Since I'm left-handed, I would have to sling all the way around to take the shot and get turned far enough. Well, he took a few steps to the right and my heart was just pounding because I knew this was a big deer. It was, it's, to this day, the biggest deer that I've shot with bow or rifle. And he stood there long enough, just kind of browsing and milling around that I felt like I had finally gained control of my nerves. And I kind of got my heart slowed back down and was just getting kind of comfortable with the thought of everything that was about to unfold. And he took a few steps to the right coming into my shooting lane. And he only needed to take about two more full steps and he would have been perfectly broadside. And for whatever reason, he backed up and went to the left. So now I've got my work cut out for me. I have to swing at least 90 degrees with my whole body to get turned far enough. And by the time that he got directly to my left, I have about a two foot wide shooting lane to be able to shoot through. And that's all I've got. And what he, he slowly started coming to my left and it took me probably five minutes to get turned all the way while he was looking the other direction and not looking at me at least. And he got about one step away from being in my shooting lane and a deer jumped down right behind me. Oh boy. And my heart sank because the buck instantly picked his head up from the noise and turned and was staring. And it looked like he was shooting a laser beam straight beneath me. He, he stared and stared and stared and he almost acted like he was getting a little skittish. And yeah, I was starting to get nervous. And at this point was when my nerves really started setting in. My heart was pounding so hard that that was all I could hear in my ears. (laughs) and I had I had my bow out in front of me with my arms extended just a little bit I wasn't at draw and my arms started shaking and I'm telling you I got the shake so bad that I had to rest my rest the cam back down on my leg and I was still shaking so bad that I swore he was going to pick me out of the tree that I tipped the top cam back up to touch my nose so I could try to hold it steady against myself. <laughs> well, 
the greatest part about this band is that I wear glasses and I was shaking so bad that the cam started ticking off the, the bridge of my glasses. <laughs> it was just sitting there going tick, 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 tick. <laughs> I was shaking so bad. And <laughs> he finally took one more step forward and he was in the shooting lane, but he was still looking directly below me. And I knew if I, as soon as I started to draw, he was going to be on me and probably bolt. And so I, I just kind of bit, bit my tongue and held steady. And finally, I don't know if he heard something else off to his, the other side of him or not, but he turned his head and I drew and put the pin on him and I actually ended up shooting a little farther back than I'd have liked to. But when I shot, I, I couldn't quite clearly see exactly where I'd hit him at, but I felt confident and I watched him bound off about 20 yards and he just stood there and he stood there for about five minutes. And finally, you know, it's, it's getting to the point now where it's dark enough that it's getting harder and harder for me to actually physically see where he's standing at. Right. And finally I, I see him start kind of swaying back and forth and he tipped over. And at that moment, it was just instant relief. I, I hung my bow up on the hanger and just sat down and just said, thank you, Lord. I was, <laughs> I was beyond happy. So you get fired up when big deer come your way. Oh, uh, more, most definitely. <laughs> so uh, how long until you, you know, I guess you stabilized yourself and then got down out of the tree to go look at him. Yeah. Well, that's, that's where the story gets a little more interesting. I had finally gotten myself together. I grabbed my phone out of my pack and sent my, my dad and my cousin a text and said, Hey, I got one down. I, going to need some help dragging him out because he was down in the creek, kind of down towards the creek bottom and <clears throat> got all my things situated and started walking over towards him. And I, I think about 15 minutes had gone by since he had actually tipped over and I got over to him and, you know, I, I had actually, you know, people talk about ground shrinkage. He actually got a little bit bigger in my eyes as I got closer, which nice. was exciting in itself. And then I snapped a stick really loud, and I was only about five yards away from him. And then I realized that the job had not been entirely done. He oh. picked his head up and looked at me. Oh. And my heart sank, and my whole... I went back into panic mode, and I was, my heart was thumping out of my chest, and... He acted like he was going to try to find his feet. And you know, I I knew at this point I had wounded him more than likely fatally if he had tipped over and was laying there. But you know, I've always been taught to make a good, clean, ethical kill and to minimize the amount of suffering that an animal goes through. So I knocked another arrow and shot him again in the vitals and kind of backed out of the area and just left him alone because I just wanted him to let him die in peace kind of thing. Right. Right. And we, we came back about 20 minutes later and he had totally expired. Nice. 
Nice. Oh. So then you got to actually put your hands on him for the very first time. What was that like? Uh, it was, <laughs> I had a grin super glued to my face. I couldn't get it off. I, I was just absolutely ecstatic. I, you know, I, I thank the Lord again for giving me the opportunity and blessing me with the family and uh, the resources to be able to go out there and do something like that. For sure. Was anybody else on your trip successful? Um, yeah, my, my dad shot a, a small basket rack 10 pointer. Um, and I actually filled a doe tag as well while I was out there. And my cousin, my cousin shot, uh, two does while he was out there as well. Okay. So what, what does this do for you? You know, this is the biggest buck of your life. First off, describe what this buck is to the listeners, his antlers and what, what you think he is for an age class. I would Honestly, age class wise, I think he's probably only three and a half, four and a half years old. Okay. Um, the the more I I thought he was older than that when he was coming in, but you know, me being from where I'm at in Ohio, most of our deer don't reach that high of a maturity, or I should say, rack size. Right. So in my mind, as big as his rack was to me, he was at least a four and a half year old deer. Uh, if not a little bit older, but actually looking at him now, I I want to say maybe he's four and a half, but I I can couldn't be totally for sure with that. Right. Um, I'm looking at a picture right now, and if I had to guess, um, it's kind of funny because just just from the pictures that you showed me, his front end, his shoulders, his head, and his neck, he makes him look like he's four, but his his back legs, his hips, and his gut almost make him look three. So, yeah, you're probably right when uh, you say he's uh, a three- or four-year-old, but nonetheless, still an awesome buck. I, I wouldn't even begin to fathom inch-wise inch, inch wise on the rack. I I have no idea. I just know that he's bigger than anything I've ever shot before. So, But he's like, what is he? He's a, Is he a 10 or an 8? He's, he's actually an 11-pointer. 11, 11 points, okay. He's, He's got five on his left side, and he's got six on his right. His right side, um, the last point that comes off his main beam is just a little bit of a split on it, just enough to count it as another point. Perfect. Kind of unique looking. Yeah. Well, Mark, hey, man, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, come on the show and uh, you know talk with us about your uh, your first – your upbringing into bow hunting, so to speak, and, and uh, this pa- this season, uh, this successful season. So uh, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot, Dan. It was great talking to you. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this Hunter Profile podcast. I really appreciate you guys taking time to download this podcast. It means the world to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank uh, you. Thanks to Mark for coming on the show and taking time out of his day to sit down and BS with me a little bit. Uh, That's much appreciated. Huge shout out to our partners, Deer Lab and Exodus Trail Cameras. Be sure to check out both those companies doing really cool, exciting things. Then, if you haven't already, check me out on Facebook, check me out on Twitter, check me out on Instagram. 
Uh, I do a lot of things on all those different forums. And make sure every once in a while you check out ninefingerchronicles.com. That's where I, I host the, the podcast. Um, every once in a while I'll throw up a new blog, a new article. And, you know, I just try to keep it as real as humanly possible. Thank you very much. Have a good weekend. Don't party too hard. And wear your damn safety harness. Thank you.